like to echo Sean's welcome this evening as we're here to be inspired by Emily's talk and be lifted by the Spirit, inspired to respond in ways that we can and maybe in ways that we haven't imagined up to this point. And so let us sign ourselves as we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you shared with us today the words and observations of your son as we've reflected upon the widow who shared her substance with you in the temple through those two small coins that she deposited in the treasury. We thank you for giving us the gift of life. We thank you for the generosity that you have shown to us in breathing life, breathing our soul into us and bringing us into the world to make a difference through our love and our service. We pray then that like the widow, we can be generous to you in responding to the many ways that you call us to act in the world today. May we shed ourselves of our ego, of whatever hinders us from responding to your call to faith to love and to service. And so as we ask your blessings now upon us and especially upon Emily and her sharing, we rely upon the gift of the Spirit who unites us together and causes us to act according to the gifts and talents that you have given us. And so as we anticipate Emily's talk and pray your blessings upon her, we offer also to you the prayer that your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much, Father, spiritual leader. Now, let's turn our attention to our presenter tonight, Emily Logan. I met the Logan family after I got here a few months ago, and I could tell right away they were a standout family. And I got to actually spend a little time with Brian. We went through the CEO training together, and then I got to really get to know Emily better in preparation for tonight, I got to hear what you're about to hear. And I gotta tell you, this is, you're gonna have a blessed night. So thank you, Emily, for sharing. Come and speak to me, which means one must be listening. Listen, listen. These are words I have heard so many times in my life. Listen to your parents, listen to your coaches, listen to your teachers, the list seems endless, but the one person I wanted to listen to never seemed to speak to me. Well, so I thought. I am the youngest of five, so when I was be being told to do things all my life, I never really wanted to listen, especially to my brothers and sisters. The summer going into my freshman year of high school, when my brother Nicholas was taking me home from softball practice, his words hit me hard. He told me that he had talked to Troy the night before, Troy was the younger brother of one of Nicholas's best friends, who happened to be the cutest boy in my high school. He continued and told me that Troy mentioned he might want to ask me to homecoming. I listened to that. But he followed that up with, but don't worry, I told him that if he even talked to you, I'd beat him up. Sweet. Thanks, bro. Thanks for nothing. Annoyed and certainly frustrated, I moved on and tried not to let my overprotective brother get to me. The end of that summer, right before Nicholas was off to college again, he took me to get some Dairy Queen. On the way home, he thought that he should give me some advice as I ventured to high school. So he says, Emmer, a boy tries to hold your hand, what do you do? I look at him as if he's crazy, and I say, I don't know, what do I do? Practically yelling at me, he says, punch him. Then he says a boy tries to put his arm around you, what do you do? Gaining an annoyance, I say, I say, kick him, and he says, punch him in the face. As I roll my eyes, I say, right, 
Good advice, got it. Then he says, what if a boy tries to kiss you? And I say, after I've punched and kicked boys, I'm pretty sure no boy's going to try to kiss me. And he said, good answer, now we're getting somewhere. But for real, a boy tries to kiss you, what do you do? I glared him and I said, I don't know, what do I do? He says, kick him in the privates, punch him in the face, and run as fast as you can. And I followed that up with, and go straight to church, because I might as well become a nun, because no boy will ever want to date me after that gets out. At the time, I viewed my brother as an overprotective, out-of-touch brother that really had no idea what it was like to be a freshman anymore. Let's be honest, he was a whole six years older than me. How could an old guy like that know anything? Now, however, I realized that was the voice I was longing to hear, the voice of the Holy Spirit, helping to guide me on my path. My brother was mostly being silly that day, but I remembered his words more often than I would have guessed and he had sent the message to me that I was worth something and that I shouldn't let people take advantage of me. The voice of the Holy Spirit does not sound at all like I had imagined it when I was little. It has only been, been recently that I've really started to listen. The voice of Jesus, as well as the voice of the devil, can be heard daily if we're really listening. Turns out my brother Nicholas would be the voice of Jesus in my life many times, and much like you would guess, I did not always like what he had to say. It is May 2002, and this day is quite literally the happiest day of my life. I had just graduated from college, and on this day I was going to marry my best friend, the man I had known since I was five and had dated for five years. We were finally going to start our life together. This had been a long-awaited moment. There had been hundreds of phone calls and thousands of miles put on our cars on the weekends to see each other, and on this day we were finally going to start our life together. Monsignor Ralph Symington would marry us, he had already played such a huge role in my life, and we were honored to have him celebrate our day. Just as we had hoped, the day was next to perfect. Outside of Monsignor tripping on my dress in the ceremony and unfortunately falling to the ground, the day was better than I ever could have imagined it. During the homily, I distinctly remember Monsignor's words in his larger-than-life voice, look at one another, which admittedly was a little awkward when 500 other people were looking at us. He continued, my prayer for you is this, that the two of you love each other as husband and wife the least today, that you will grow in love for one another with each passing day. I cannot say that I have loved Brian more with each passing day, but I can say that in comparison, the love I have for Brian today is, was the least comparatively to May 25th, 2002. Prayer. What a powerful thing it turned out to be. I believe Ralph's prayer for us has been granted. However, I am not sure any of us are ready for the journey we must go on to have our prayers answered. See, I had a prayer too. When I was little, I had a very active prayer life. In fact, most of my high school years, I wrote my prayers in a journal, which is fun now to read. Oh, if Brian knew what I wrote about him when I was 17. There were many things I prayed for, but one thing remained in every prayer every day. Lord, please help me to be a kind and compassionate person. Every night I would end my prayer with those words, Lord, help me to be a kind and compassionate person. Seems simple, but the reality was God and I were not on the same page. Our plans for me were not the same. After our wedding, the reality of adult life took over. I'm a planner. I wish I wasn't, but I am. My four brothers and sisters are all one year apart and were really close growing up. I was between five and eight years younger than my siblings, which meant I was the annoying little sister that was never old enough to do anything my siblings were doing. So my plans after we got married were to have kids right away, four of them to be exact, get my master's, get my PhD, become a math professor, all before I was 30. In May 2003, at age 23, I started my master's and by the end of that year I was pregnant with our son Wesley and my plans were falling into place. Now that doesn't mean everything was perfect. There were many bumps in the road. We were living in a new town and had no friends. We were among the only people our age that were married and there were a whole host of other things going on in our lives that were less than perfect. However, I knew once I had children, things would fall nicely in line and we would have our happily ever after. Our son Wesley came into the world on June 30th and although there were many things to remember about that day, the thing I remember most is the look in Brian's eyes. 
Monsignor Symington could not have been more right at that moment because Brian had never looked at me that way before and I knew he had never loved me as much as he did in that moment. Due to some complications, I ended up having a C-section. Not a huge deal, but when the nurse looks at your husband right before taking her into the operating room and says, thank goodness we have modern medicine or your wife and child probably wouldn't make it, there is a level of panic, no doubt, that runs through one's mind. When we came home from the hospital, we took Wes on a tour of our house. We took him to each room. He smacked his lips and looked around bright-eyed. Yep, my life was falling into place for sure. I, will be done, I would be done with my master's at the end of the summer. I had my first child and Brian and I were loving each other more and more every day. Knowing I wanted four kids and that they had to be close in age because I was bummed I wasn't closer in age to my siblings, we decided in January to start trying for baby number two. When nothing happened for the first six months, I was frustrated, but I kept praying and tried my best to be patient. At nine months of trying, I decided to make a doctor's appointment. The doctor asked me all sorts of questions and then said, well, you're probably just thinking too much. I'm sure you'll be pregnant before you know it. Six months later, still no pregnancy. So I made an appointment with a fertility doctor. When I met with her, I was 26. And the very first thing she said to me was, well, you aren't getting any younger, so we better get on this, because before you know it, you won't be able to have any more kids. I know I wasn't 20, but for goodness sakes, I was 26, and most of my friends weren't even married yet, let alone having children. She said I likely had endometriosis and I needed to have a scope done. So I made the mistake everyone does when a doctor tells you you have some sort of health issue. I went straight home, fired up my computer, and read everything I could about endometriosis. I had myself convinced I was doomed. I was crushed, I was scared, and I didn't understand why I was having issues. Nobody else in my family seemed to have any issues having children. Heck, I come from a huge Irish Catholic family. Having children is something most people would say we're best at. I had the scope done, and lo and behold, there was nothing wrong with me, which should have been a relief, but unfortunately, it felt like a curse. Here I was, 26, with a two-year-old, and no reason whatsoever that we cannot have children. The feelings of being worthless and inadequate began to take hold, and although I didn't want to have endometriosis, it would have had been a reason. Once you know what you're facing, you can face it and begin to deal with the reality of whatever it is. But this, this was not an answer. It was a devastating day. I had had surgery for no reason, I was on the couch feeling physically rotten and emotionally broken. This was the time that the emotional toll got heavier than my shoulders could hold. Most people did not know because the reality was I couldn't talk about it without breaking down and crying, which is not something I enjoy to do with people. People that did know or would ask would say, when is baby number two coming along? And then they would say things like, well, you just need to relax or I'm sure God has a plan for you, or God never gives you more than you can handle. However, I couldn't handle it. I didn't want to go to family gatherings because someone would announce they were having a baby and I would want to crawl into a hole and cry. At church, I felt like an outcast. There are so many scriptures about accepting children willingly and the gift of a family. It only confirmed for me in my head that I was worthless. If I couldn't have children, then what was my purpose in life? Brian and I didn't talk much during this time. If we did, we just argued, and I was too fragile to fight, so I just didn't speak. These were dark times for me, and poor Wes, he just kept smiling and loving me as if nothing was wrong. The love of a child really was the glue that kept me together. I had decided that if I couldn't have children, I was going to be physically fit. I signed up for my first marathon and buried my pain in running. Running had always brought me clarity, and I think it was the one thing that kept me going besides Wesley. Unfortunately, at that point, I had a hard time even looking at Brian, because when he looked back at me, he did not have those same loving eyes he had had when Wes was born, and it was a daily reminder of how worthless I really was. Poor Brian. He was doing the best he could. He did everything he could to make me feel important as well as loved, but I had myself convinced that I wasn't worth loving. So I ran and I ran some more. While out for a run one day, I decided I wanted a second opinion. We decided to go to Iowa City. Maybe they would have some better options for us. 
Leslie was now three and going to preschool. When we went to Iowa City, they ran several tests on Brian and I. Lucky for us, we were two of the healthiest people they had ever seen. They had no idea why I was unable to get pregnant. They diagnosed me with unexplained infertility and handed us a menu of fertility options with the cost of each option along with the statistics of success. My heart sank and I did my best to hold myself together. I felt like I was at a bad restaurant where nothing looked or sounded good. It was really expensive and you knew you were gonna leave unsatisfied. Brian and I didn't speak the whole way home. Tears just ran down my face. I was numb. I just wanted to wake up from this horrible dream. There were so many things about that appointment that were hard to process. I was not at all comfortable taking fertility drugs for several reasons. One, I knew the Catholic Church had strong opinions and teachings on this topic. Secondly, fertility drugs would mean messing with my hormones, and that felt like playing with fire. Everyone I'd ever known in my family that passed away had passed away from cancer, and it felt irresponsible for me to knowingly do something that increased my risks. I was struggling with what God's plan was for me. I definitely felt if God thought I should be pregnant, I would be. And since I wasn't, maybe God thinks I'm a bad mom or doesn't want me to parent any more children. I'd be lying if I didn't say at times I was ready to take the drugs putting my body through the ringer and going against the church teachings. For goodness sake, I wanted a child, so the heck with health and church teachings. The devil. Wouldn't you know he shows up when you're the most fragile? All the pros and cons race through my head daily. I definitely prayed, but I mostly cried. Again, I turned to running. I would run for hours. I signed up for another marathon to bury my hurt. Brian and I finally talked about the appointment in Iowa City. We talked about our concerns and our thoughts around the options, and of course, the reality that we couldn't afford the options they gave us anyway. The folks in Iowa City suggested we move to Illinois if we wanted to try treatments because they had insurance coverage for infertility. And in Iowa, there was no coverage. I could get birth control, I could have an abortion, but nobody could help me financially if I wanted to have children. We were at a crossroads. Did we want to go up the infertility ladder one rung at a time or jump straight to the top, knowing it would go against what we believed in and that we didn't have the money to pay for it? And it was very likely that we still wouldn't have any more children in the end. We talked about asking my parents to sell some cattle to help us pay for it. We talked about just forgetting the whole thing. The reality was it was going to be physically and emotionally taxing, not to mention it undermined what we believed in in our faith. So we mourned separately. I cannot express what the loneliness felt like at this point. We did not know any other couple going through what we were going through, and we were told that we were completely healthy. Listen. I was trying to listen, but what I was hearing was really painful. Have you ever tried to listen, but all you hear is painful reminders? that you're not in control. I had always thought that if I set my mind to something, set goals and worked hard, there was nothing that was impossible. And for the first time in my life, something felt absolutely impossible. No amount of work ethic was going to change my situation. God may not always protect us from the hurt of this world, but he will sustain us. He will put us in the palm of his hand. I cannot tell you why all of the sudden adoption was on my mind more often than it wasn't, but I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit had something to do with it. Adoption had been something I had thought about off and on growing up, and as a kid I thought I would adopt once my children were grown and gone. I decided to bring it up to Brian, thinking maybe this was the route to grow our family. I was met with strong feelings of no at first from Brian. He wasn't sure he could love an adopted child the same way he loved a biological child. He said, if we didn't have any children, I think I would feel differently about it. So there we sat, no strong desire to go through treatments and no more good options. Knowing Brian for basically my whole life, I knew I just needed, he just needed more information. 
I was a math teacher, so I was calculating that we had one chance at this, go against our beliefs, jump straight to the top of the infertility treatment menu, which still left us with a low chance of success or adopt. The more I thought and prayed about adoption, the further away from wanting to give my shots I became. Whenever I looked at Wesley, I was rushed with an overpowering feeling that treatment was not the route for our family. I knew I had to change my game plan with Brian if I was going to get him to really think about adoption. So I did what any loving wife would do. I went behind his back and gathered as much information as I possibly could. I called his cousin who was working for an adoption agency at the time. It just so happened she was just getting into running and wondered if I would do a race with her. I said, sure, then we can chat about adoption. Brian never asked any questions. He was glad I was going to run with his cousin. Brian's cousin and I chatted for hours that day. I asked her my questions and left feeling hopeful. That evening, I spilled my thoughts out to Brian. I mean, literally, spilled it out before he could get a word in edgewise. I told him I only ran the race with his cousin so I could talk with her about adoption. And I gave him all the reasons I wanted to adopt. I told him I was sad, really, really sad and tired, and I just wanted to adopt. I didn't look at him the whole time. I was talking, and once I was done, I kept trying to think of other things to say so he couldn't say no. I didn't think I could handle the words no. If I kept talking, then maybe he wouldn't have the chance to say no. But eventually, I ran out of things to say. So I took a deep breath and sheepishly looked at Brian. He looked at me with the most compassionate eyes and said, me too. Even as I looked at him and his confirming eyes, I couldn't believe he, what he was saying. He proceeded to say that the day before he was reading ABC News online and there was an article about parents adopting when they had biological children. The article talked about how it seems like you wouldn't be able to love them as much as a biological child, but once they're in your arms, they're yours the same way a biological child is. He said it was all he had thought about since he had read the article, but wasn't sure how to talk to me about it. God does not protect us from the hurt of human existence, but he does sustain us. God was talking to both of us, and for the, one of the first times in our lives, we were both listening at the same time. The ball was rolling now, and hope had been restored in me. That summer was the flood of 2008. I was working on my national board certification and trying to put together a book to show potential birth moms. Putting together a book to show someone who you are is a stressful task. So many things run through your mind. We wanted to portray ourselves in a positive light without seeming Facebook fake. We had to get medical exams, fingerprints, background checks, and fill out what felt like 100 pages of paperwork. We were asked about our marriage, our childhood, our parents, at times it felt insulting that so many questions were being asked, yet people every day have children with no background check. I found it hard sometimes not to feel anger or resentment at the whole situation. Meanwhile, everyone I knew was having children. Even with this newfound hope, I was still very much alone and struggling. Brian and I were going through the motions of marriage, and this looming stress of how we were going to pay for this was always hanging over my head. I kept holding out hope that one of these days I was just gonna wake up pregnant. We were going to have another child and adopt and our house would be overflowing with children. I worked on the list of things I needed to get done for adoption, but I was still neck deep in sorrow and sadness. These feelings made it hard to get much done. Motivation is usually something I have a great deal of, but I found myself struggling to do much more than run and cry. I certainly was still emotionally unsteady and my heart was very heavy with guilt and feelings of worthlessness. One summer day in 2008, I decided Wesley now four and I needed a date together. We went out for lunch and headed to the movies. He was so excited, what a trooper he was. I had been so distracted basically his whole life and yet he had never spoke of wanting siblings, which was such a blessing. I'm not sure I could have handled it if he had asked for a brother or a sister. Then I would have been a failure in his eyes as well, and that would have been too much to bear. So there we were, sitting in the theater, so excited to hang out and escape life for a couple of hours. The movie was Disney's Up. What seemed like a good idea 
went south real quick. In the first 15 minutes of the movie, the wife of the main character loses a child, and then with no words spoken, it is understood that she is never able to have other children. My four-year-old's little eyes looked up and over at me, and he says, that's you, isn't it, Mom? That's why we're adopting. You can't have kids. I never understood. Tears ran down both of our faces. We should have walked out of that theater right then and there, because if you've seen that movie, it really doesn't get any less heavy. We both cried the whole time. Neither one of us ever watched that movie ever since. In fact, Wes will tell you it's his least favorite movie of all time. Because for the first time, he knew the level of sorrow I was feeling. The rest of that summer, I slowly got paperwork done and all the doctor's appointments completed, so all I really had left was a home visit and our book. However, school was now starting and I was coaching cross country, so there was such little time. I was sure I wanted to adopt, but I was also sure that I was going to get pregnant at any moment. Fall came and went, Christmas came and went. I was trying to avoid as many gatherings and family things as I could because simply it was too painful to be around people. My New Year's resolution in 2009 was to get our book done. The social worker kept telling me we needed to get it done because she knew that we would have no problems getting a child. However, some of the paperwork was really hard to fill out. Many of the questions were centered around, what were you okay with? It felt wrong to answer these questions as if we, had, we could hand pick a child. When filling this part out, it asked questions like, are you okay with a child with special needs, or a mother with drug or alcohol issues, or a mom or dad with depression in their family history? Did we want a boy or a girl? Brian and I felt for the most part, if we had a biological child, they could have issues. So who were we to hand pick the traits that we were okay with or not okay with? So we checked this crazy box as some people thought, that said, open to anything, doing our best to put our faith in God's plan. I remember saying to Brian, with my face all scrunched up with so much question in my voice, God doesn't give us anything we can't handle, right? I wanted to believe it, but I would be lying if I didn't tell you I was asking because I wasn't sure it was true. I had gotten to the point in this journey that I didn't know I could, if I could handle what God had in mind for us. I did not think I could handle infertility most of the time, and now I was totally unsure if I could handle whatever else God had and wanted to present us. I was staying true to my New Year's goals and things were cruising along with the process into January 2009. I did not have a lot left with the book and we had just done our home visit, and then we hit an unexpected roadblock. Every winter since Wes had been born, we had gone to a hotel to swim and just hang out. This particular winter, at the end of January, we decided to go to Des Moines with Brian's parents and his brother who lived in Des Moines. About 30 minutes into our weekend getaway, I was snapping a towel at my brother-in-law when he grabbed the towel, whipped it out of my hands. Little did he know, some, the towel was wrapped around my right ring finger, and when he snapped it out of my hand, my finger shattered from knuckle to knuckle. My options were to cut my finger off, or the doctor said we could try to save it. I had reconstructive surgery, and no worries, I do still have a finger. I had surgery on my finger the first week of February, so finishing our book was put on hold. However, the adoption agency knew it was almost done and that we had all of our other paperwork done. So while I was home recovering from my finger, I got a call that there was a family that wanted to meet us, even though they hadn't looked at our book. We were so excited to think this could be really happening. The mom did not want to meet us, but the aunt did. The baby was already born. In fact, she was five weeks old, and the mom was feeling overwhelmed because she had other children and some with special needs. We said yes, we would want to meet the aunt. I have to admit, though, I was a little unsure. I cannot exactly explain why I was hesitant, but I was definitely hesitant. However, it was a child, and we had waited four and a half years at this point for another child. So yes, we would meet her. We went to Bethany. The whole way there, I was anxious yet excited, thinking this could be it. We could have a child in a matter of days. When we got there and started talking to the aunt, it felt like we were in an interview for a job. And I guess we were, 
but I had to keep reminding myself that this was for life. At one point, the aunt asked us what religion we were, and when we told her that we were Catholic, she immediately said, well, you're not going to make Jamie be Catholic, are you? This was very unsettling, because although we were not going to force her to do anything, we were going to raise her in the Catholic Church, and we would go to church every Sunday, and she would attend Catholic school, and of course it would be our wish that she would remain Catholic her whole life. I looked at Brian, who looked at me, like, well, how are you going to handle that one? I gave him a thanks-a-lot look and said, we are Catholic, and although we will not force her to be Catholic, we will definitely bring her up in the faith. The aunt seemed okay with that answer, as long as we were willing to let her make her own decisions. The aunt also asked if she could remain in contact with Jamie. We said, of course, knowing it is healthy for an adopted child to have contact with their birth family so they know where they have come from. Brian and I had had many conversations around this point, and we felt very strongly that we did not want any secrets, and we wanted our child to have access to his or her birth family. The aunt said, so when she's in high school, I can come and go prom dress shopping with her? I looked at Brian, who again looked right back at me like, yikes, how are you going to take that one? So I said what the aunt wanted to hear. I mean, this was an interview, and I wanted the job. The excitement I felt coming into this meeting and knowing that a family wanted to meet us slowly faded. The reality was I was not sure about the situation. It felt like the aunt was not at peace with her sister's decision to put her child up for adoption. Although I will admit it felt good that this family wanted to meet us, I mean, I needed any confirmation that I was a good option to, for a child to have as a parent. I was desperate to feel adequate and needed. We drove away from Bethany that day in virtual silence. When our parents called and my siblings called to see how it went, I was for sure Facebook fake. Because although it didn't feel good, it was a baby. I wanted our family to grow so badly. Maybe if I talked about how great it was, I'd be able to convince myself that it was the right thing to do. Later that night, Bethany called and told us that the aunt was okay with us and wanted Jamie to come to our house. In that moment, my stomach sank. I was silent. Then the social worker said, don't answer right now. Actually, don't say anything unless you have questions. Talk to Brian about it, pray about it, sleep on it, and give us a call tomorrow and we can talk some more. I hung up the phone and tears ran down my face. Why was I crying? Somebody thinks we are good parents and they want us to take care of their child forever. I went out to the kitchen and told Brian what the social worker had said. He was trying to read what I was thinking and said, okay, so what's next? I told him what she had said and that we should pray about it, talk about it, and sleep on it. I looked at him and said, so I'm going to bed because I cannot think about much of anything anymore. At this point, I was still recovering from my finger surgery and the next morning still feeling like I was in another person's body living someone else's life, I took Wesley to preschool. I then went over to church to pray. Frankly, I did not know where else to go. I went to the back corner of the church. I sat, I kneeled, I cried, I pleaded. I kept saying, I want to do your will, but I'm not sure what that means or what your will is. I was totally lost. I had been through doctor's appointments, acupuncture, background checks, 500 survey questions, home visits, and all I wanted was another child, and this is what God put on my lap. Is this how it was supposed to feel? Maybe I am worthless. Maybe I am a terrible mother. Maybe you are speaking to me, and the message is you should not have any more children. How will I explain her birth story? How will I tell her she lived with her birth mom for five weeks and then she came to live with us? And that it felt like her aunt really didn't like the idea. And when she asked why her mom gave her up, what would I tell her? To be honest, I really didn't know why the mom was giving her up. I had come to this understanding of adoption that more times than not, people give their children up because they love them unconditionally. And they know adoption is a better option for them. And although I'm sure this was out of good intentions, 
It just didn't feel right. I sat at church all day, crying and pleading with God to tell me what he wanted from me. Maybe I was selfish. This was a child who needed a family, and we needed a child. So what was the issue? I wanted to do the right thing, but the right thing had never looked so confusing. This was the decision that would ultimately change this child's life and our life forever. And I did not feel at all at ease about it. So I cried and pleaded with God to help me know his will. What was wrong with me? Had I been a fraud the whole time? Was I not able to adopt? Or was God telling me not to adopt? I had been at church all day, and as grace would have it, no one came into church that day. I had it to myself. Thank goodness, because I was a hot mess, and I didn't want anybody to see me that way. But I felt so strongly that I was where I was supposed to be. At one point, I was kneeling and praying, as well as sobbing. When I slumped to the kneeler, laying on the kneeler, I was repeating over and over, thy will be done, thy will be done. What in God's name is your will? Please help me. And the mess of my emotions and the peak of my pleading with God about what his will was for me. The world stopped. And for no reason I can explain, I felt these arms wrap around me. I do not remember words, but a feeling. A feeling of calm and clarity. And then words. I was quietly called by name. Emily, it's okay. This baby is not meant to be yours. Let her go. Quiet tears ran down my face. The kind you cry when you know it's the right thing, but it hurts so badly it takes your breath away. The kind you cry when your heart is broken and you know there's nothing you can do but let go and let God carry the load. I remember looking up at the crucifix and I cried at the thought of Mary having to watch her son die, knowing it had to be done, but feeling completely heartbroken at the same time. These are the moments that God's will is done. God will not protect us from the hurt, but he will sustain us in our darkest, most troubling times. God was wrapping his arms around me, letting me know it was okay, and that I was in his hands as was that innocent little five-week-old child. I was not abandoning her, which was what I was struggling with. I had always wished that I would be worthy of hearing the voice of Christ. However, I thought the voice would be booming off in the distance, as if he was talking to me, but yet it would feel like a dream. And the reality was, it was a soft whisper full of compassion and mercy. He gave me permission to say no, something I'm really bad at. I pulled myself together, walked out of church, and went over to the school to pick up Wesley, hoping no one would really look at me because I had been crying for hours. Out walked Wesley, hippity hop into the car as if all was right with the world. I will never forget that because I was looking at the world as if it was against me and as if it was only full of sorrow and he looked at it with nothing but love and excitement. It would turn out I had a lot to learn from Wesley and he would keep being the light of Christ for me.
Wes and I headed home that day, and not long after we got home, Brian came home. I was in our room sitting on the bed, and when he came in, he looked as if he had seen a ghost. I told him I did not think I could adopt Jamie, and that I was scared because although I knew this didn't feel right, I was not sure if that meant adoption didn't feel right or this adoption. I was totally freaking out about calling Bethany and telling them that we didn't feel right about it. The words felt like vinegar as I said them to Brian. What kind of devil woman was I? Again, I kept trying to talk because if I kept talking, it was going to all make sense and I was going to come up with something better than it just doesn't feel right. Once I stopped talking because frankly, I ran out of words, Brian sat down and said, thank goodness. I've not been able to work all day. This just doesn't feel right. And I have no idea how it's supposed to feel, but this doesn't feel right. Just then the phone rang. It was my overprotective brother, Nicholas, who lives in Kansas City. I could tell he was driving. Usually he calls on his way home from work. If it had been anyone else, I probably wouldn't have answered, but he only calls when he has something to say. He started with, Emily, we need to talk. But when I said okay, he could tell that I had been crying, and he paused and asked if I was okay. I proceeded to tell him that I wasn't sure if I was okay or not, that all I wanted was more children and here is a child and yet I didn't think I could say yes to the situation. And what does that mean? And what is wrong with me? And does this mean we're not supposed to adopt? Finally, Nicholas stopped me and said, wait, you're not going to adopt her? And I said, no. He said, okay, then I guess I can turn around. He was on his way to Iowa to stop me from saying yes to the situation. He told me he just knew this was not the right thing. And through my tears, I said, but what does this mean? And he said, I don't know, but for right now, in this moment, this is the right decision. I called Bethany after I got off the phone with Nicholas and told them this just didn't feel right. We felt like we still wanted to adopt, but this just wasn't the right situation. The social worker was not at all surprised by our thoughts, and she admitted she had felt uneasy about the situation as well, which certainly made us feel better. At the end of the week, I dropped off our book that I had finally finished in the Dropbox of Bethany, so now a family could look at it and decide if they wanted to meet us. I dropped off our book on a Saturday. The following Monday, we got a call that a mom looked at our book and she would like to meet us the following day which happened to be St. Patrick's Day. We went to meet Corey, who turned out to be just about our age. The meeting felt like a conversation, not an interview. Everything about the meeting felt different than the other situation. When we left, Brian and I couldn't stop talking about it. What a relief that it felt differently. Corey chose us to be the parents of her daughter. We made a birth plan, and in six weeks, she was going to be born. Corey requested to have the first 24 hours with her baby, and then we could come to the hospital. She wanted her to spend the second night with us. We met with Corey one last time to go over the birth plan and to talk about names. Corey had said she wanted us to name her. Brian really liked the name Josephine because its meaning is God will add to. We had decided the middle name would be Leanne because Corey and Brian's middle names are Lee and my middle name is Anne. For all the reasons Jamie didn't feel right, Corey and Josephine felt like a perfect match. On April 30th, 2009, Josephine was born. And just as we had planned, she stayed with Corey for 24 hours and we were able to come to the hospital the second day. We had made the decision that Wesley would go to my parents for a while. We would not legally have custody for Josie for eight days and we did not want Wesley to see her until we knew she was ours. When Brian and I got to the hospital, it was a mix of emotions. We were so excited to see her, but it was also very strange knowing that Corey was in the room right next to us, alone and broken. The love Corey had for Josie was so very clear, and she was giving, us to, she was giving her to us out of unconditional love. It was a sacrifice I'm not sure I could make. 
Josie was beautiful and perfect in every way. The next day was an emotional roller coaster. We were being discharged at noon. Corey had requested to hold Josie one last time. We, of course, said sure. She asked if we could come in the room as well. When we walked in Corey's room, we gave her Josie. We watched her hug and kiss her, and then look at us. We all hugged, and moments later, she handed Josie to us. We all embraced again, now with Josie in my arms. No one spoke, because nobody could. Thank you. Those were the words I could muster up through our weep weeping. I did not know what else to say. What do you say to a person who is sacrificing so much for the love of another? We hugged one last time with Josie in my arms and we walked out to our car. I held on to Josie with ever every ounce of my being with tears of joy and tears of sadness it felt like I was outside of my body watching somebody else's life Brian and I got to the car both weeping and we knew we needed some sort of normalcy we needed Wesley and we needed him now we were not going to be able to go eight days without him I called my mom and told her we needed him to come home she gathered his things and my parents started on their way to Marion. Knowing it would be about an hour, we drove home and attempted to give Josie the same tour we had given Wesley almost five years earlier. Through our tears, it was clear the look on Josie's face was different than Wesley's. She had an undeniable look of confusion and disconnect. Brian and I went into the living room we sat with Josie in our arms and we cried. It was hard to know what to pray for. Did I want her birth mom to take her back? Because at this point, I love Josie so much, I just wanted what was best for her. Or maybe we were, and maybe we were not it. And what if Corey did want her back? Maybe we should protect ourselves. Maybe this was a bad idea to have Wesley come home. What if he gets attached? and then they take her away from us. Tears and fear overtook me. After almost an hour of tears and silence by all three of us, the car pulled into the driveway and Wesley came running through the front doors. My sister, my sister, look at her. She's beautiful. I love her. In that moment, God once again put his arms around me and reminded me to love like a child. Wesley loved her unconditionally. He had no fear of her being taken away, no feelings of does she or doesn't she belong here. He just loved her. And if she had gotten taken away from us, I knew our love for one another would be enough even though it would be so incredibly hard, we would find strength together. And if she was supposed to be with us, and oh, did I pray she was supposed to be with us, then we would make it through all the trials and tribulations as a family, knowing that God will have his arms around us all the while. This journey called life is forever going to have unique twists and turns compassion and kindness. That has been my prayer for as long as I can remember. And Josie teaches me these things every day. And it is through our most troubling times that we find our strength as well as ourselves. There was a moment during Corey's pregnancy that she really contemplated having an abortion, but she just couldn't go through with it because she loved the baby inside of her too much how different the world would be without our Josephine Leanne. I wanted a birth story I felt comfortable telling our child. And this is a story of love. God only gives you what you can handle. 
this is a story I can handle. I can look into Josie's eyes and say with 100% confidence that her story is one of love, unconditional love. I have learned many things about my life, myself, my family, but the thing I take away most is God is always talking to us if we are listening. We are exactly where we are supposed to be, doing exactly what God has planned for us. If we can be still and know that he is God. I still may not know what my exact purpose is in life, but I do know that we are here together in this place to love and support one another. As you reflect on my story, I hope that you think about your own and how the love of those around you is the love of Christ. We are a community of imperfect people who need one another in our good times as well as our hard times. Thank you, Emily, for sharing that story with us. Story of unconditional love, faithful searching, dedication to serving God with your life. Thank you.